Welcome back to the 10 Blocks Podcast. This is Brian Anderson, the editor of City Journal. Joining me on today's show, Nicole Gelinas, a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute, a longtime contributing editor of City Journal, and a consummate expert on all things New York City. Uh, today, we're going to turn to Nicole to help us make sense of the New York City primary elections that were held last week, but seem nowhere close to a final result. Nicole, thanks for, for joining us today. Good morning, Brian. Nice to be on with you. And and yes, I'm not sure that we're going to make sense of them. I guess maybe we'll make sense of why they don't make sense. Right. Uh, that's the best we can do, I think, at this point. So last Tuesday was primary day in New York, for those who were listening who aren't in New York, um, and all eyes were on the mayoral race. But Thanks to a combination of absentee voting and the city's new ranked choice voting system, uh, we don't know who the Democratic nominee and presumptive next mayor will be. Uh, We waited a week for the release of the preliminary ranked choice results, and now we still don't know. So the initial results showed Eric Adams holding double-digit leads over the two uh, closest contenders, Maya Wiley and Catherine Garcia. Yesterday afternoon, though, when the city dropped the first batch of ranked choice results, um, the race seemingly tightened quite a bit. And now Adams has a much narrower lead over Garcia, who is in second place. But there were serious discrepancies with the tally. Hours later, the Board of Elections just withdrew them, uh, citing apparently a software error error that counted test ballots as real ones, if I'm understanding it correctly. So, you know, ranked choice voting has its advocates. We've been writing a bit about it in City Journal, uh, but it's it's really tough to see how this rollout of this new system could have gone worse. Um, you know, could you just explain for people who might not be following this that closely uh, what the mechanics of the process have been and how, you know, how was this supposed to go and what what has gone wrong? Sure. The point of ranked choice voting is has two goals. One, to save the city a little bit of money in not having to have a runoff election after a primary. So the old way of doing it would be you've got four or five candidates in a primary. If none of them reach 40% of the electorate, then you have a runoff between the two top vote getters, usually two weeks after the first primary. And that costs a few million more dollars. So, you know, we don't really think of New York City as as a, as a uh, government that's searching for ways to save money, but for some bizarre reason, they saw this as an opportunity to save money. And the the other purpose of it is supposed to be to reduce acrimony among the candidates, that you, you won't want to really attack your rivals because voters might pick both you and your rivals on their their ballot and so if if you're attacking your rivals they may just leave you off the ballot as the sort of negative uh person so how does it work uh instead of picking one candidate on the ballot uh the the voters go into the booth or do it at home if they're voting absentee and rank five candidates so you know for example Take uh, if you if you liked uh, someone like Ray McGuire for his education policy, wanted to rank him uh, first. 
uh, then you don't suffer if he loses the election. You don't feel like you threw away your vote on someone who most likely was not going to get to the top of the ballot. If if uh, he loses, as looks uh, highly likely, uh, oh, I guess definite now, then your vote would go to the person that you picked second. So say you chose uh, Ray McGuire first and Maya Wiley second and the ideological uh, differences there. Once Ray McGuire had been kicked off the ballot and not getting enough votes, then your first choice is effectively Maya Wiley. If she were to lose and then your third person was Eric Adams, your vote then goes to Adams and then so on down, down your list of five. And the, the good news is that voters don't seem to have had a problem with it last week. There wasn't really any confusion at the ballot boxes. People either had their list of five people or they didn't pick five. You don't have to pick five if you still just prefer one candidate or two, you could leave the rest of the ballot blank. It's perfectly valid just to have your one favorite candidate, just like in an old-fashioned election. But there were no lines at the at the ballots. Don't appear to have been a lot of spoiled ballots where people filled them out wrong. So the problem may not be with the system or the voters, but just the age-old story of New York City Board of Election incompetence. Yeah, well, what about these test ballots? I, I don't quite understand what happened there. How would they be counted as real ballots? And right. how, how would those votes get distributed? Right. The Board of Elections said uh, quite late last night after the uh, the second round results had been up on the website for several hours and had been reported across the news organizations. Essentially, this was a mistake and we should not consider these second round results at all. And why is that? Because they had done a test run of dummy ballots to make sure that the software works and the rank choice voting system worked and they never took out those 135,000 dummy ballots. So you're looking at 20% of the ballots that were uh, made up ballots. And this is, uh, you know, data analysis 101. If you're going to do a test of equipment, which of course you should do, you should be using fake names. You shouldn't be using the real candidates' names. Exactly to avoid a mistake like this, I mean, you should be putting in Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck names to do your simulation. So it, I guess it's, it's good that they caught the mistake, but it doesn't give people a lot of confidence in the results. If, if we go into a situation where this is a very close election, this gives all the candidates a pretty valid reason to ask for a hand count so we could easily go into the rest of the summer and not have a final result. Amazing. But, you know, toward the end of the campaign, uh, Andrew Yang and Garcia forged uh, an alliance and Yang urged his voters to rank the former sanitation commissioner second. So if Garcia really does close the gap, uh, but we're not sure about that right now, might we see similar, you know, maneuvers in future elections? Or, you know, is the city going to just junk um, rank choice voting after this, would you say? I, uh, I, I think it depends on partly what the outcome is. You know, machine politicians like Eric Adams, they haven't always been fans of ranked choice voting. They think the runoff system benefits them. And that may turn out to be true. It's striking that 
Adams is is really the only one who didn't try to be nicer to his opponents in thinking that I've got to get a slate of five people so I can't go after Maya Wiley too hard because I need her voters to rank me somewhere on the ballot. He ran a very old-fashioned campaign attacking uh, Maya Wiley uh, on the merits of her, her very poorly thought-out public safety campaign. Uh, he went after Andrew Yang pretty hard as Andrew Yang reciprocated and, and uh, raised the questions about uh, where Eric Adams actually lives and other uh, matters. So Adams kind of ran a more runoff-based campaign, and it worked in the first round. If, if we were doing an old-fashioned election, the first round results that we got last week are still valid. So Adams has 32%. Uh, as you said, he's running well above 10% percentage points ahead of Maya Wiley and Catherine Garcia, who are vying for second place. So if we were having a runoff, uh, it would be right now between Adams and Wiley. Almost certainly Adams would win that runoff race, and it is not certain that he'll he'll win the ranked choice voting. And so what happens, as you said, Yang and Garcia teamed up, they campaigned together for the last two and a half days of the election. And if it does turn out that Catherine Garcia pulls ahead in the ranked choice voting, hopefully we'll know more later today, then a lot of that is due to Yang's voters ranking Garcia second. So there is, you know, Yang, Yang did get 100,000 uh, votes with some absentees still outstanding. So with him out of the running, that's tens of thousands of votes, uh, assuming that most of his voters did what he said and picked Catherine Garcia second, that then go to Garcia. That's enough to put you over the top. So there is a king-making or queen-making potential here in that Yang had a deliverable voting block. He had very loyal supporters. And if they go to Catherine Garcia, uh, she does she does owe him something. And so does that mean a, a position in her, her administration? So there there's a potential for this to, to work in an interesting way once people uh, get the hang of it. Uh, you, you've written in a forthcoming essay on you know, the kind of dynamics of the the. Uh, election and on the history of New York City mayoral races, that these elections tend to happen in the shadow of big crises that the city periodically goes through. Um, you know, and the latest one is the the upsurge in crime, which has been you know a key factor, as you've noted in this race. Uh, we've seen Adams, who you know previously had this long career criticizing the NYPD, um, even though he's a former officer. Uh, and Garcia, a kind of technocrat, both sounding law and order notes. Um, you know, is is the story of this election ultimately, in your view, unless Wiley manages some kind of surprising victory, uh, is it really the question of of uh, the the Democratic center beat, beating back the kind of far left here? Yeah, I think we can safely say that the moderate Democrats dominated this mayoral election. If you add up the votes of Maya Wiley, 22%, and the rest of the progressive candidates, Scott Stringer, Diane Morales, Sean Donovan, among them, they they did not get uh, 10% of the vote. So between Wiley and the, the lower level progressives, that's only 
one third of the Democratic vote that chose a progressive candidate. So two thirds of the Democratic electorate chose a moderate and, of course, made these these votes based on personality, based on uh, uh, perceptions of personal integrity. But whether you picked Adams, Garcia, Andrew Yang and to a much smaller uh, extent, Ray McGuire, uh, people chose moderate candidates that were calling for some level of more assertive policing in the face of uh, doubling in in shootings and a 50% rate, uh, rise in the murder rate over the past two years. Now, we don't, we don't know how any of these people would actually govern. I mean, there are drawbacks with all of, all of their platforms. You know, Garcia, for example, really relying on gun buybacks as the, the big part of her anti-crime uh, uh, campaign. Adams, we're not sure which Adams is going to govern, the pro-police or the anti-police Adams. But in this slate of imperfect candidates, voters clearly said, we don't want to defund the police. We need more policing in our neighborhoods. Now, the mayoral race isn't the only show in town, of course. Um, you know, as you've written in the New York, your New York Post column, the, the down ballot races are going to have a big impact on the way the city is governed. Um, in the city council race, you note that only two, I think, of six Democratic Socialist endorsed city council candidates uh, seem to have won. Uh, but the council's in pretty rough shape politically, I would say. Um, you know, at the same time, in the race for Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg holds the lead. Uh, we ran a piece yesterday by Tom Hogan looking at his background and platform, um, you know, pretty critically. What, why are these races important in your view? And do we have a sense of how the new council might get along with a Mayor Adams, say, or a Mayor Garcia? Right. With the district attorney, it's still too close to call. Bragg is three points ahead of uh, uh, Tally Faradian Weinstein. I hope I said her, her uh, middle name correctly. And she ran a much more moderate race. So even there, there's a little bit of a split in what the voters want. And there were candidates far to the left of Bragg, too, that didn't do very well. So, you know, not a great sign, but still too early to call. But yes, I think you're right that the city council, uh, the mayor will face a real challenge in dealing with the city council next year. It's, it's not so much that it has moved further to the left. The city council has always been, or at least for uh, 20 years, been, been to the left of the mayor's, uh, but much more vocal voices that can gain attention beyond their own districts. You know, Tiffany Caban ran for Queens district attorney uh, last year or two years ago on a, a platform of basically decriminalizing anything short of a violent felony. Voters did not choose her as DA. They chose a much more uh, moderate DA, Melinda Katz. But in the city council race, it looks like she's she's winning. She's one of those two of six uh, Democratic Socialist candidates who's winning. And I think some of that is partly the name recognition that she built up during the DA's race. Uh, when you, we are asking a lot of voters in the cognitive load and asking them to pick five mayoral candidates, five controllers candidates, when they get down to city council, they may be picking the name that they know, which we saw in a couple of uh, 
people who used to have these city council seats and had left for eight years because of term limits are now back in those seats, most likely uh, Gail Brewer and Charles Barron. So just a lot of name recognition here uh, at work. But yes, we will have a left-wing council that probably will try to micromanage the mayor through the police budget. Are we going to see a uh, resurgence of the defund movement in next year's budget uh, and not wanting to to add back the policing class that was cut, for example, and in just a lot of uh, push for uh, new mandates on on small business and and so forth as we try to recover. So that's you know that will be something for the me- the mayor to deal with. We're not going to have an officially announced winner in the mayoral race and in some of these other races until you know the city says so. Uh, when that happens, it's going to be time to start looking to the future, you know, to consider what the new mayor needs to do to steer the city through a very difficult period marked by both the COVID-19 pandemic, of course, and this, this resurgence of, of crime. Um, you know, it's, it is a very broad question, but it's an important one. What should, above all, the next mayor concentrate on to be successful and to help the city? Well, I mean, the the strange thing about the election is that once we have a winner, even say worst case scenario, we don't know until August 1st, the, the Democratic primary winner has five months before he or she takes office. Of course, we still have a general election in November, and it's most likely that the Democrat will win, but uh, not impossible that Curtis Lewa, the Republican uh, nominee, also makes his case. So it's it's not over until November. But five months in having the Democratic primary down, this is a time to really start to put together your cabinet, really uh, go out there and listen to all different uh, groups giving all different types of expertise and what should the, the uh, projects be on the first day in office. Uh, first of all, open up de Blasio's final budget. Uh, look for any savings there because it, on January 1st, when the mayor takes office, the final de Blasio budget will still have six months to run out. But just opening that up, uh, uh, trying to cut out the, the, the most... Uh, frivolous of the de Blasio spending to save a little bit of money for the next year, Uh, going to the council, looking to add back that policing class because it takes a few, few months to go through the police academy. We will need those police officers by by next summer. And I would say aggressively uh, looking to manage the streets better, uh, uh, putting out more bus lanes to, to, to try to get people back on the buses if they're uncomfortable riding the subway still. Uh, but a very big focus on both cutting the budget and improving public safety, whether it's the violent crime that we're seeing or the spate of traffic deaths that we're seeing. If people don't feel safe walking around on the streets, then we're not going to have a very good recovery. Uh, We still have half a million people unemployed. So the mayor also has to be a sort of Ed Koch style cheerleader for the city and trying to raise people's spirits. Thanks very much, Nicole. Don't forget to check out Nicole Gelinas' work on the City Journal website. That's www.city-journal.org. We'll link to her author page in the description where you can follow her work. 
Uh, you can also find City Journal on Twitter, at City Journal, and on Instagram, at City Journal underscore MI. If you like what you've heard on today's podcast, please give us a ratings on iTunes. Thanks very much again, Nicole. It, it'll uh, all bear watching. Thank you, Brian. It was nice to be on with you. And yes, we'll know something, whether the wrong thing or the right thing, in a few more hours. Okay, thanks. Thanks for joining us for the weekly 10 Blocks podcast featuring urban policy and cultural commentary with City Journal editors, contributors, and special guests.